the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. The second reason now that he tells us that we are not to judge others is, watch this, those who judge others set the standard for their own judgment. This is an incredible statement. Verse 2, for in the way you judge... You will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. This is a highly significant statement by Christ. Why? Because it tells us that not only will we be judged for the sin of judging others, he already said that in verse 1, but now he tells us that we will actually set the standard for our own judgment by God. I remember the time when I was 13 years old and my brothers took me to the fair. My brothers told me that if I was asked, I should say I was 12 because the admission was cheaper for a child. As we approached the window, the man behind the glass asked my brothers how old I was. They answered 12, I answered 13, and the man charged us for an adult admission. Boy, were my brothers angry with me. I told them that was a lie and that lying was wrong. Well, as it turned out years later, one of my brothers had someone lie about their age when applying for a job, and when he found out, he was angry and refused to hire the person. As the nice little brother I was, I asked him what the difference was. He looked at me with a blank look and said, no difference, I guess. You see, he was treated the same way he treated the guy at the fair, and he didn't like it. The Bible says in the book of Numbers that we should be sure our sin will find us out. It is interesting to note that it is the same exact wording in the six most popular translations of the Bible. We're delighted to have you with us today for another verse-by-verse -verse study of God's Word. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida is our teacher. He has been teaching for more than 27 years at Lakeside and now he is here on the radio to help us learn more about the rights and wrongs of judging others, what the passage means, how we can misuse it and abuse it, and how to use judging in a way that brings glory to God. You see, we will live and we will be judged by the same standards we impose on others. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 2 through 5, as Pastor Steve joins us. In his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, Bible teacher and pastor Kent Hughes makes the statement that people are by nature critical and condemning. And then he illustrates just how critical and condemning we can be by telling us of the experience that a young bachelor had. Concerning this young man, he writes this, every time he brought a prospective wife home, his mother criticized her unmercifully. The young man was at his wit's end when a friend offered this advice. He said, find someone just like your mother. And so he looked and looked until he found a clone. 
She looked like his mother. Her gait was like his mother's. She talked like his mother. And she even thought like his mother. It was just amazing. So he took her home. The next time he saw the friend who had given the advice and was asked how his mother liked the girl, the bachelor said, it went great. My mother loved her, but my father couldn't stand her. (laughs) See, being overly critical and judgmental seems to be a very integral part of human nature. But according to the Bible, it's a very evil part of our human nature. And one of the primary places in the Bible that addresses being overly critical and overly judgmental of others is our Lord's words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. So uh, if you're not there already, let me ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Now, uh, several weeks ago, we began to study these verses. And in doing so, we, we not only learn what Jesus meant by the words, do not judge, but we also learn what he did not mean by these words. And that's very important that we understand this because people often misinterpret the, the phrase, do not judge. The Lord was not teaching that it's wrong to confront and condemn the behavior of someone who is violating the word of God. It's not wrong to do that. We're simply telling them what Scripture says. It's not wrong at all. And we know it's not wrong because of a number of passages in the New Testament, and in fact all of Scripture, that tell us that we are commanded to confront one another. We're to love one another enough to tell each other when we're not walking with the Lord. So if you see a fellow Christian who is clearly disobedient to Scripture, then not only isn't it wrong to confront them about their sin, but it would be wrong not to to confront them. That's a clear truth of Scripture. For example, Matthew 18 says, if you see your brother in sin, go speak to him privately. So Christ's statement about not judging others certainly doesn't prohibit us from making biblical value judgments about someone's behavior if it doesn't line up with Scripture. Also, we would say the statement, do not judge, doesn't mean that we we can't be and we shouldn't be discerning and deciding and judging if someone's teaching is right or wrong. Everything you hear in a public forum, everything you read, you have to judge whether it's biblical or not. You have to. So we want to be very clear that that we understand that in saying do not judge, Jesus wasn't prohibiting us from the kind of, of judging that points out someone's sin. Be very careful about that. Be very careful about the person who says to you, if you point out their sin, well, don't judge lest you be judged, meaning back off, don't tell me where I'm ever wrong. I want to live my life the way I want to live it, and I want anybody telling me what to do. They're wrong. The Bible says if they claim to know Christ, you have every right to tell them if they're in violation of God's word. So knowing that Jesus didn't mean that, the question is, what did he mean? What did he mean? He was forbidding us not from confronting others about their sin, but from a certain attitude, from a certain attitude, a negative, hypercritical attitude that looks down upon others and delights in finding their faults in order to condemn them. That's what he's talking about. And why does this type of critic get such delight and enjoyment out of judging others? Because in putting others down, he exalts himself as morally superior. That's why he enjoys it. He thinks he's better than this person. And so, you see, instead of being constructive criticism, which is what we all need, constructive criticism is healthy, it's right, it's good. This is destructive because it has no beneficial goals of helping the other person. 
It's, in other words, it's criticism just for the sake of criticism, to make me look good and you look bad. That's why it's so wrong. And so Jesus said that as his followers, we are not to engage in that type of useless judgmental criticism because we're called to be different from other people. And we are especially, and this is the context of the Sermon on the Mount, we are especially called to be different from those self-righteous Pharisees and scribes of his era who loved to judge everyone who believed and acted differently than they did. That's really what Jesus is saying. That's the heart of this passage. Don't be like them. That's why later you'll see in verse 5, he calls, he calls anyone who does this a hypocrite. That was often what he called the Pharisees. See, what the Lord is teaching us is that we are not to treat those in the family of God the way the Pharisees treated other people. It was horrible the way they treated other people. These men called Pharisees were part of a religious sect in the first century, and they were extremely self-righteous. They were hypercritical fault finders who loved to point out and expose the sin of others. They felt that was their calling in life. And the reason, as we said, they loved this is because uh, not that they cared about the person that they criticized, but only because it made them feel better about themselves. And that's why Jesus depicted that Pharisee praying in the, in the parables, displaying his own self-righteousness when he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. In other words, I, I, I'm thankful that I don't sin like, like these wicked sinners who are beneath me. That's what he was saying. Now, folks, whether we like to admit it or not, all of us have a tendency to think and act like Pharisees. Just because we're, we're fallen creatures, and as fallen creatures, we struggle with our sin. And when we see things that are wrong in the lives of our fellow Christians, rather than grieve over their sin, which is what we should do, and love them, and approach them out of love and concern, we are inclined to look down upon them, to look down upon them and judge them harshly as being less spiritual than we are because we don't do those things. Or we do certain things that they don't do and how unspiritual they are. And that's precisely this type of of insensitive and abrasive judgment that Jesus commands us not to do. And to help us curb this tendency in our lives, the Lord goes on after telling us the command, do not judge. He gives us three reasons why we must cease from judging others. Now, I want you to know, it would have been just sufficient had Christ told us in verse 1, do not judge. We don't need anything more. If our master tells us, don't judge, then that should be sufficient. But the Lord gives three reasons. Why? Because uh, these are what I call extra incentives. This is extra help to help us put an end to the sin that is all too common amongst Bible-believing Christians. Now, the last time we studied these verses, we looked at the first of these three reasons, and I'll very quickly review. Why should we not judge others? Number one, because those who judge others will be judged themselves. Verse one says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. The Lord tells us that those who judge others will be judged. And what he means by this is that those who are guilty of this air of of moral superiority and judging others, this condescending attitude will be held accountable to God for this sin. Now, what type of judgment is he talking about? As we noted last time, this is not the judgment of hell. This is not the judgment of eternal punishment. As we sang in that wonderful song in Christ alone, the wrath of God was satisfied by the death of Christ. The believer in Christ is secure, will, will never be punished 
in that sense for our sin. But there is still a way, in fact, there are two ways that God judges us. Number one, he's talking about, and we know this from other New Testament scriptures, he tells us that he judges us now in this lifetime in a fatherly disciplinary way. When we get out of line, God loves us enough to spank us. How does he do that? Well, according to 1 Corinthians, much of the time, in 1 Corinthians 11, he does this. It involves some form of, of physical sickness and illness. But it's not limited to that. Discipline could come in the form of, of any type of trial in which we suffer. And, and you'll know it. You'll know it. God will make it clear to you. You don't have to morbidly be introspective to try to figure it out. He's not playing games with us. You sin, he spanks you. And you know the difference when you're going through a trial and you're obeying him and you're going through a trial when you have not been obedient to him. That's God's discipline. And his purpose in disciplining us, like the purpose of a father in disciplining his child, is, is, is not to express anger. It shouldn't be. That's not the point at all. It's to correct us so that we change. That's why you discipline. That's why God disciplines us. Paul told the Corinthians, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged by God. Judge yourself in the sense that I say, this is wrong in my life. I have been judgmental. I have been hyperly critical. I have been negative. And Lord, I change. I repent. Help me to love this person. If you do that and you mean that, then God will not have to discipline you. But otherwise he will, because this is a very serious sin. It's a sin of unloving. Being unloving to other believers. So judge your sin now. Visualize in your mind the so-called ladder of success, and you hear one person say, I am working my way to the top. And then you picture this individual on the ladder with many others trying to get to the top. And he does this by grabbing and pulling and tugging and dragging everyone else on the ladder of success down to the ground. That is just like those who use judging to make themselves look better and everyone else look worse. If I can't look good, then I will make everyone else look bad, is the philosophy of the world. Let's pause briefly, first to welcome those who just tuned in. You're listening to Verse by Verse, a daily Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you are ever in the Clearwater area on a Sunday morning, we would be honored to have you join us and worship with us. You'll find us at 1893 Sunset Point Road. That's midway between U.S. 19 and the beaches. Now, let's get back to the second way that God judges believers, all believers, at the Bema Seat of Christ. Pastor Steve, would you please explain that to us? The second way that God judges believers has a reference to a future time when we will stand before him. It's called commonly in our Bibles, the judgment seat of Christ, but it is, that's not the best translation because that gives us an impression that, that we're going to go to hell for this. No, the judgment seat of Christ is more literally the Bema seat of Christ. The Bema seat of Christ is a time where God will evaluate our lives, whether we live for him with the right motives and we're faithful to him, and he will give us rewards at that time. But if we have not been faithful, then we won't get rewards. We'll lose the rewards we we could have had. And so according to Jesus, those who are guilty of judging others in this lifetime will be held responsible for their sin. They will not get a reward because of that. And so the Apostle John addressed this very issue in 1 John 2.28 when he said, Now little children, abide in him, meaning continue in him, walk in obedience with him, so that when he appears, when Christ appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So folks, the time to address the sin of judgment and being unloving towards other believers is now. Otherwise, when Christ comes back, you're going to be embarrassed. 
You're going to be ashamed to see him because you are guilty of not only this sin, but in particular this sin of being overly critical and having an unloving heart. God doesn't want us to shrink back. We ought to, we ought to walk in the light of Christ's return and be thrilled, and it ought to be a, have a purifying effect on us. Now, God's judgment ought to be enough incentive to make sure that we are not condescending and contemptuous in our judgment of others. But notice that Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to give us two more reasons why we are not to judge others. The first one, those who judge will be judged. The second reason now that he tells us that we are not to judge others is, watch this, those who judge others set the standard for their own judgment. This is an incredible statement. Verse 2, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. This is a highly significant statement by Christ. Why? Because it tells us that not only will we be judged for the sin of judging others, he already said that in verse 1, but now he tells us that we will actually set the standard for our own judgment by God. When Jesus said, in the way you judge, it'll be judged, and by your standard, you'll be judged, and by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you, it means that God will judge our lives by the very same standards that we set for the people we found fault with. What an amazing statement. In other words, if you go around criticizing and finding fault and looking down upon other Christians, believing that they are not as spiritual as you because they don't live up to your standards, then God will hold you responsible to live up to those same standards of behavior that you claim to live by. See what the Lord is saying? It's amazing. Those who set themselves up as judges over other people put themselves in a very precarious position, a very unstable position, because to condemn the behavior of others as wrong is to say that you know what the right behavior is and you abide by that right behavior. Therefore, if you fail to do what is right, then, Jesus said, you actually condemn yourself. Here's how Lloyd-Jones explained this very important truth. He wrote, if we sit as an authority in judgment upon others, we have no right to complain if we're judged by that very standard. It is quite fair, it is quite just, and we have no ground whatsoever for complaint. We claim that we have this knowledge, and if we have this knowledge, we must show it by living up to it. By the claim that I myself make, I myself shall be judged. If therefore I am careful in my scrutiny of other people and their lives, that very standard comes back upon myself. And I have no ground at all for complaining. The answer to me, if I complain, would be this. You knew it. You were able to exercise it with regard to others. Why did you not exercise it in your own case? It's a very surprising and alarming thought. There's nothing he writes I know of that is so likely to deter us from the sinful practice of condemning others and from that foul and ugly spirit that delights in doing so. Now, this principle, this principle of setting the standard for your own judgment is not isolated. Jesus said it here, but it's not the only place in Scripture that says this. There are a number of places, and I want to show you two. James chapter 3, verse 1, also addresses this. So, James chapter 3, verse 1 says this. This is a very well-known statement, but I'm not sure uh, everybody has thought along these lines as to what, what James meant. He said, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we shall incur a stricter judgment. 
James warns believers that they need to be careful about rushing to become a Bible teacher. They need to be very careful, he says, because those who stand up as the authority and teach God's word to others will experience, he says, a stricter judgment than others. Now, why is this the case? It's a very important point. Why is this the case? Why will judges, or why will teachers, rather, incur or experience a stricter judgment than others? Why is that? Because those who teach God's word claim to know the truth. They claim to know the truth by assuming the role of a teacher. They claim to have greater knowledge than those they teach. Therefore, when they stand before God, they will be evaluated based on whether they practiced what they preached to others. In other words, the standard that a teacher tells you to live by will be the very standard by which God will hold him or her accountable. Here's how one Bible teacher explained the meaning of James 3.1. He said, if you become a teacher, set yourself up as a religious authority over others and act accordingly, you'll be judged by the authority you claim. Do I claim to have an exceptional knowledge and grasp of Scripture, I'll be judged accordingly. Do I claim to have an especially wise, to be an especially wise and discerning servant? I will be judged according to the position I have assumed. If we set ourselves as authorities and judges over others, we should not be surprised when we are judged by our own standard. It's exactly what James is talking about. But there is another passage of Scripture that I think is even more vivid and graphic in its explanation of this. Let let me have you turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans, the second chapter. Now, you know in Romans chapters 1 through 3, Paul is putting the world on trial. And in chapter 2, he is specifically addressing the Jewish person, the very unsaved religious Jewish person who uh, was very self-righteous, the Jewish person of... Paul's generation was normally a very self-righteous individual, especially self-righteous and condescending in the way he looked upon Gentiles, the the Goyim, the the people who didn't measure up to him. And notice what Paul says in verses 1 through 3. Remember, he's talking to the self-righteous Jewish person. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God? I think it is apropos at this time with all that we have discussed that we should reread the passage we have been discussing. For this occasion, I would like to read from the Amplified Bible. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourselves. For just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you will be judged and criticized and condemned. And in accordance with the measure you use to deal out to others, it will be dealt out again to you. Why do you stare from without at the very small particle that is in your brother's eye, but do not become aware of and consider the beam of timber that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get that tiny particle out of your eye, when there is the beam of timber in your own eye? You hypocrite, first get the beam of timber out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the tiny particle out of your brother's eye. Harsh words for a harsh subject from a God who loves us very much. 
It was a pleasure to have you in class today. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For over 27 years, Pastor Steve has been serving and teaching at Lakeside. And now his expository messages come to the radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. Today's class was the beginning of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, you can order a CD or a cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. We have today's lesson as well as many previous lessons available as audio downloads, or you can listen to them online. That's versebyverseradio.org. I hope you'll join us for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve will be continuing our study in Matthew chapter 7. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.